We come to message number eight in our series from Genesis. Chapter 13, our title was Lot Ever Saved. Now, the circumstances of our message today could be perhaps outlined this way if you will look in your Bible very, very quickly, and if you like to make notes, just jot these down. Verse number 10. We're getting a little extra ring, Dave. Verse number 10 is the first step. Lot lifted up his eyes. He looked. Verse number 12. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Second step. He looked and he pitched. And that has nothing to do with baseball. The third is in the 14th chapter and the 12th verse. He dwelt. He dwelt in Sodom. He looked, he pitched, and he dwelt. Now, if we did not have the account of 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, then we may never find an answer for the question of our message today. For we read in 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. There is the answer, really. God delivered just Lot, but he was vexed all the while he dwelt in Sodom because of the wicked and unlawful deeds of the people of the cities of the plain. So, Lot is the illustration of the worldly believer who loses everything in God's judgment fire. This message is particularly valuable for Christians. And I want you to catch the impact of it today. Now, it will be good if you're not a Christian and you can apply it, but I want the believers to know that I'm going to be shooting from the hip at you today. Point blank. So be ready. Are you ready? Would you like to be preached at today? Sure you do. That's why you come to church. You want to know what the Bible says. You haven't come just to be told you're a neat person. You know you're not. Because none of us are. We've all got our hang-ups and our needs, and that's why we're here to see what God says so we can be helped. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 so that we can get the New Testament counterpart of the chapter we are looking at in Genesis. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. This is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, 
every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try or test every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. Now notice these two very important statements in this passage. First from verse 13, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Not a one of us will escape the judgment fire of God. It will be tried, our work. Everything that we do will be tried by the fire of God. The second statement is in verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. This is what describes Lot in the first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings. He shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I don't want any of us to go into the kingdom like that. I want us to go in triumphantly. I want us to go in victoriously. I want us to go in receiving a crown that the Lord will give us, not barely making it saved, such as by fire. Hence, the two points of our message today that should linger with us the rest of our days. Number one, the lesson of choice, and number two, the effect of choice. It's a simple outline, but a powerful truth for every one of us living today. First of all, the lesson of choice. Verse 11 brings to us the importance of this point. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. Now let me settle this question in your mind. The Bible says that Lot was a godly man. So this message is for God's people particularly. He was godly, and the Bible says he was righteous. This righteous man dwelling among them. Righteous means he lived right. Right living is what the word righteousness implies. But what happened to his family... What happened in the affairs of his whole household is what is sad about the story of Lot. The judgment of God that falls upon us because of our poor choices. Let's look at it. For a while, Lot was guided by his uncle Abraham. It is good for every one of us to have a tutor, to be discipled by someone so important when we are first converted particularly to be under somebody's wing, somebody's guidance. That's what the church is for. That's what Bible classes are for and Bible studies are for, prayer groups are for, and home fellowship meetings are for, that we might be guided and helped in our Christian walk. So it was with Lot. Abraham was the one that guided him and helped him. There was a time when they had to make a decision. Lot had to choose where he was going to go. The pastures of Bethel were not enough. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. They both grew in influence until they had too much, and they had to part. 
You know, God uses little things to do his will. I am often surprised at the way people react to circumstances in their lives when they are believers. It is possible for us to forget Romans 8:28. All things work together for good to those that love God. It does not say that everything is good. It says that God works for our good if we love God. And we fuss and we fume about things that come. Why, God, did this happen? Surely this couldn't be your will, God. But don't be so quick to make that kind of judgment. Don't be so sure that God's hand is not in what is happening to you at that particular moment. If we believe we are God, then we must believe that all things will work together for our good. Even the clash of herdsmen, even the necessity of deciding to separate from Uncle Abraham, who is my spiritual advisor and my spiritual tutor. God was working in that to bring his perfect will to pass in the lives of these two families and the lives of these two men. God uses little things to work his will. Trust him. Don't get upset about life and the vicissitudes of life. Rest in God and let God be the Lord of the circumstance. Control the circumstance. Don't let the circumstance control you. In every life there are times when choices must be made. When we leave home, when we choose a profession, when we choose friends and associates and determine what the habits of our life are going to be. Those are decisions or choices that affect us for years and years to come. I remember well when I was 17 and God spoke to my heart about my life and leaving home and a profession that I had never thought about in my fondest dreams. But God spoke and I told my mother of what God had said and she wept. That's always helpful when you're making big decisions, isn't it? But I discovered that those tears were not tears of sorrow, but tears of joy at the call of God, but also tears that were from within because she knew that I would never really be back home again. And from the day I left as a 17-year-old, I was only back home two weeks after that. That's all that God allowed me to be back following that decision. But a choice that has affected my whole life, a choice that affects my being behind this pulpit today, a choice that affected who my life's companion would be and where I have been ever since that time, all because of that choice. Big moments, but we don't always realize how big they are when we make the choice. The important thing is to be honest with yourself before God and know that he's going to help you, he's going to be with you, no matter how important or lack of importance seems to be placed upon that decision. God is there, and he will be with us, and he will help us through. Now, Lot chose. Lot chose the best pasture. Why not? That's natural, isn't it? Lot broke no positive law in choosing the best pasture. But the problem with Lot was that he chose 
according to worldly good and worldly good alone. I find no record in the Bible that he ever took a real good look at Sodom, that he ever really regarded what was happening in the city. I find no record in the Bible that he ever paused to pray for guidance in this particular instance. He just looked and he went. He did not pause seeking the face of God. No thought of how he could best serve God. Now, friends, there are many of us that do the same thing. People buy houses without praying. People move without seeking God. People accept employment without asking God, is this the place you want me to be? We look at it according to the salary. We look at it according to the ease of responsibility, perhaps, or in view of the future and promotion, rather than, is this where God wants me to be? I have seen children lost because families moved into the wrong neighborhood. They moved into the wrong house. They put their children in the wrong school because they did not seek the face of God about where they were to live and what they were to do. You see, we can lose tremendously if we operate like Lot operated, just looking up to the plains of Jordan and selecting that as the place we're going to live, only to suffer horrible consequences because of the choice. James 1.14 says every man is tempted. All of us are tempted to take that which looks good to the natural eye. Adam and Eve teach us that. They chose that beautiful fruit. They wanted it, even though God had said no to them. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then in verse 10, he lifted up his eyes. He lived by sight, not by faith. And the Bible says that anything without faith is what? S-I-N. That which is without faith is sin. If he had consulted God, he could have found out God's plan for Sodom. God knew what was going to happen to Sodom, but instead Lot chose, he trusted his own sight, chose the wealthy, wicked city of the plain, and did not ask God for any advice. Verse 10 gives us another clue in his choice. It was like the land of Egypt. It looked well watered and fruitful to Lot. He never said, I wonder how this land looks to God. Verse 13 indicates what it looked like to God. It was wicked. But in Lot's eyes, it was fruitful. See the difference? We can look at something and say, this is just exactly it. This is what I want. This is going to be good. While God's back here trying to tap us on the shoulder saying, uh-uh, it's bad. It's not good. It's wicked. It will destroy you. It will hurt you. Don't! But we look and we desire, like the land of Egypt, because when he was in Egypt, and we talked about that last week, going down to Egypt, he saw the well-watered ideas and plans of Egypt. He saw how it worked. He saw the fruitfulness of it. And now he thinks that this is exactly the way he is to go and the thing he is to do, like the land of Egypt. 
The Bible tells us that God someday is going to destroy this earth by fire, 2 Peter 3. But there are men who laugh at that. Ha, ha, ha. How could it ever be? Well, the Bible says it's going to be. Let them laugh if they want. You've got to live by faith and not by sight. You've got to look at Sodom the way God looks at it, not the way man looks at it. It may look prosperous to you. It may look well watered to you. But God looks at the same thing and sees it as wicked. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to live by faith or are you going to live by sight? The progression again. He looked toward Sodom. He pitched his tent toward Sodom and he dwelt in Sodom. So it is with a lot of us who refuse to make the choices after prayer and consultation with God, only looking according to the natural eye. Be careful of that. Now, the second thing in our message deals with the effect of choice. Let me run you down through the effects on these two families, the family of Lot and the family of Abraham, very quickly. First of all, Lot gets farther and farther from the Lord, while Abraham is drawing closer to the Lord. Lot is becoming a friend of the world. Abraham is becoming the friend of God. Lot took a part of the land. Abraham is given all of the land by God. Lot's family is either destroyed in Sodom or defiled in the cave of chapter 19, while Abraham's seed is to be blessed forever. In chapter 19, the daughters of Lot get him drunk on wine and lie with him, feeling they are not going to have a seed and commit adultery with their own father. His sons-in-law could not even believe his warning when he comes to them in verse 14 of chapter 19 and warns them of the judgment of God upon the city. The Bible says he was as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. In other words, his testimony was gone. His family influence was gone because he walked the streets of Sodom. And when he said, God is going to destroy this city, they said inside, ha, 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 what's happened to Pop? He's flipped his lid. He's got all those houses, all those properties. Mom has all those knickknacks on the shelf. What's happened to them anyway? God's going to destroy this city. And his sons-in-law did not leave the city. So he lost them in the flames of Sodom. And by chapter 19, his daughters are living like the men of Sodom and commit sexual sin with their own father. Lot's family is either destroyed in Sodom or defiled in the cave of chapter 19, while Abraham's seed is to be blessed forever. Lot claimed what his eyes could see. Abraham claimed what God's eyes could see. Lot lost his altar. Abraham still had his tent and his altar. Lot had no real happiness. Abraham was totally content. You know what the word vexed means when it says his soul was vexed? I looked it up in four different translations, and without exception it said he was not happy. Now, when we get that honest, we're going to be helped. When we honestly say, this really doesn't bring me happiness, 
This new gadget doesn't really provide for me what I thought it would provide. When we really get that serious with God, we're going to be helped. When we are able to say one thing and one thing alone brings satisfaction, and that is a right relationship with God, we're going to be a thousand times better off than we are today. Lot's soul was vexed. He was unhappy where he was. Now, Lot was saved, but he was saved such as by fire. What does that mean? It means he made it, but not too many others made it with him. It means he made it, but just barely. Let's take a look at his wife, Mrs. Lot. Jesus remembered her. Hundreds of years later, Jesus said, Remember Mrs. Lot, Lot's wife. Remember her. That's all he said. Remember Lot's wife. What are we to remember? Ladies, are you listening? Remember Lot's wife. She knew the warning of God, don't look back. You've got to leave it all back there, Mrs. Lot. But when she got up on the edge of the hill, the city packed there behind. She thought of all the knickknacks on her shelf. She thought of all those precious things that had come to them in 20 years of living in Sodom, for that's how long they lived there. 20 years in wicked Sodom, walking the streets of Sodom, amassing all that they had ever wanted on the well-watered plains of Jordan. All of it was back there in her house. All of it was going up in smoke. And she turned around to get one last glimpse of all that meant anything to her, and she perished in a pillar of salt. How tragic, gentlemen, that we could live so close to the world that our wives could lose out. How tragic it is, men, that we could be so enamored with the things of this life that our children have no interest in God. But that's the way it is. Lot teaches us that. One of the solemn reminders of the story of Lot. He lost his wife, his family, because he walked in the streets of Sodom. How narrow the line between Lot's hesitation and her looking back. I wonder how often he thought, if I could just look. But he didn't look and was saved such as by fire. He was that close to being destroyed just like his wife. Just that close. How narrow is the margin between life and death, between heaven and hell, and that margin may be these next 15 minutes in this service today. It may be that close. That's why choice is so important and the effect of our choice. Somebody wrote these lines, For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of the shoe, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Little thing. It doesn't take much to send a person to hell. Just to look back. Just the tug of the world. Little thing. It didn't take much to turn the coconut grove nightclub in Boston 
just before Pearl Harbor in 1941 into a holocaust? Did you ever read what caused that fire? A young man in the employ of the Coconut Grove nightclub was asked to go change a light bulb. That's what caused the fire. Just a little thing. Well, he got up there to change the light bulb, but the place was so dim and filled with smoke that he couldn't see how to screw it in. Have you ever tried that when you can't really see the socket? So, up there on the ladder, he took out a match. And he struck a match in order to see. And the draft in the building caught that flame and took it just to fill a few inches to a streamer. And immediately that streamer caught fire and shot flames through that whole nightclub. And I kid you not, in a matter of seconds, that whole nightclub was a flaming inferno until 487 people died in that fire, all because of a little match and a boy changing a light in the middle of the nightclub. Just little things. It didn't take much for a mother and two children to die in a fire I read about just recently. Three lives. You know what it took? A cigarette butt smoldering in a mattress. That's all. Just a mother going to sleep with a cigarette in her hand. And falling from her hand to the bed. Take her life and the lives of her two children. Just a little thing. But you know, my friend, it didn't take much for David to defeat Goliath either. Just a little stone placed in a little sling. The Philistines were defeated. You know what I have come to tell you today? Little things make up life. Little things can change our lives. Just little things. Little things like, Lord, save me. Little things like, Lord, I'll live for you. Little things like, Lord, I take you now. Lord, I turn my back on this evil relationship that I know I'm not supposed to be in. Lord, I take you. Lord, I turn from Sodom. That's all it takes. It does not demand a college education. It does not demand high finances. It does not demand some mighty revelation from heaven or a bolt of lightning out of the blue to strike you on the top of your head. Just a little thing like I turn from Sodom and I turn from this relationship and I turn from this disobedience. That's all it takes. Just a little thing. Was Lot really saved? Yes, according to Scripture he was, but he wasn't victorious. He paid a great price. His wife, his family, he lost his testimony in gaining influence in the city. Is it worth it? Oh, if Lot could come here today and speak to you, he would say there was nothing worth it at all. I lost everything that counted because of my compromise with this world. 
On Palm Sunday, 1981, God's Holy Spirit speaks to you. Will it be worth it if you continue on in the path you're now following? Those of you watching me at home, will it be worth it if you continue your path of arrogance and conceit and unbelief? What do you have in your hand today? 1 Corinthians 3 gives us six possibilities. Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. Do you know these three get better in the fire while these three perish? These three are tested by the fire and come through gloriously. These three perish. Which three are you holding on to? Are you getting closer to God like Abraham? Are you building your altar faithfully before God? Or are you holding on to the things of this life? T. Texas Tyler was a great country western star some years ago. I had the opportunity of meeting T. Texas Tyler because after his conversion to Christ, he came and spoke at my church. And we had a delightful time together. I enjoyed talking with him and getting his testimony down on paper. What I did not know was that T. Texas Tyler was a hopeless drunkard for years. He could not stay away from the bottle, and it was so affecting his life that his career was in jeopardy. And he was so tied to the bottle that even in his contract it was written that he had to appear 30 minutes before every performance backstage. And number two, he had to appear sober. That was literally written into the contract. It was so bad. Well, a pastor visited him at his home one night when he was just dead drunk. Couldn't make his commitment. And after sharing with him, T. Texas Tyler got on his knees at his couch. And he said, Lord, if you will come into my life, I will serve you the rest of my days. I will quit country western music. And then he listened to what he said. And in his heart, he said, why did I say that? Quit country western music. I make $1,200 a day. I said, a day. This was a few years ago. But he went on, Lord, I mean it. I will quit country western music if you will deliver me today from this alcohol and come into my life. It doesn't take much to change, just determination. The next night, he Texas Tyler was in a church giving his testimony of conversion to Jesus Christ. Then he had to set about changing all of his style, breaking his contracts, and he was told, you can't do that. No way can you break your contract. He called up his agent. He said to him, get the contract out. I want to go over it on the phone with you. He said, I'm going to break this contract. And the man on the other end laughed in his ear. He said, that's impossible. Well, he said, let's see. Number one, I have to be backstage 30 minutes before performance. Number two, I must appear sober. He went through all seven of them, and the man said, that's right. 
You have to keep every one of these. You cannot break that. And he was ready to hang up the phone when T. Texas Tyler said, read on. At the bottom of the contract was this little line, except by an act of God. That man read that on the other end of the line, and T. Texas told me he heard him start murmuring in the phone, an act of God, an act of God. An act of God. And he said he slammed the phone down and he heard him say it again. An act of God. Never saw him again. An act of God. My dear neighbor, that's what I've been preaching to you for three years. All it takes is an act of God to break all of the devil's contracts. To break all of the devil's hold on your life. Just an act of God. To build your altar toward Bethel, not toward Sodom. To get smart and start looking at what counts for eternity instead of what counts for time. An act of God is what all of us need in this building today. And I'm happy to tell you that's exactly what can happen in these next few seconds. Bow your heads with me. All over this building, as the Spirit of God makes the truth real on television, as the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, an act of God can happen right where you are. Let it happen. Jesus, Holy Spirit, don't let any of us escape your searchlight. Turn it on us. Turn it on us bright and big. May we see our motives as you see them. May we see our hearts as you see our hearts. Touch Christians in this church today, Lord, who have been living for the world and not for Jesus. People have been thinking more about their vacations and the money they can spend in Tijuana rather than what they can invest in the kingdom of God pitching toward Sodom. God, we know sacrifices are necessary if we're to reach the potential that is ours in Christ. Touch us today. May we be like Abraham. May we be saved triumphantly, not such as by fire. How many of you would like to raise a hand and say, Pastor, this is my first step back in the right direction. And I'm talking to sinners and Christians alike. I've made that clear today. There are Christians who need to deal with things in their lives today. You know if you were honest with God, you would have to say, I'm not totally sold out. Would you raise your hand right now, unashamedly lift it up before God. I want to get back on the right trail. Surrender. God bless you. God bless you here. God bless you over here. God bless you. Many hands. Up in the balcony, I'm looking. Raise yours up there. Jesus is talking to you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you here. Oh, turn toward Bethel, not Sodom. Turn toward God. Let's stand together. Nobody leaving. Just hold steady as we stand, please. Reverence God.
I want those of you who raised your hand, whether you be a first-timer or you've been here a long time, I want you to come and stand here at the front. I don't want you to kneel. I know we're going to need all the space. I want to pray for you especially. You're moving toward Bethel today. You don't want to go into the kingdom just barely. You want to come in triumphantly. You want to turn your back on some things you know you need to turn turn from. I want you to come from the balcony down here, from the main floor. Come and stand with us here and let the Spirit of God touch your heart as we sing, I Surrender All. Do it today. Do it today.